0: Just a heads up for listeners, there's some profanity in this episode. And also, while the characters in this story are still awaiting trial, their crimes are alleged. Wall Street, with its marble columns and ornate facades, is also a place where people live. During the week, it's slammed with financial mediums wearing Brooks Brothers. But on the weekend, it's quiet. In fact, if you were to walk east from the New York Stock Exchange, after you passed by the Tiffany's store, and yes, the Trump building, past the fast casual places for lunch, you'll find many, many towers full of luxury condominiums. 75 Wall Street is one such building, just a four-minute walk from the heart of Wall Street. And inside 75 Wall Street, in one of the units facing the East River, Heather Morgan and Ilia Lichtenstein live with their Bengal cat, Clarissa. And one cold Wednesday morning in January, they heard an unexpected knock on their door.
1: Federal agents showed up at their door. They Reached their apartment, and immediately, like, Ilya and Heather, they were trying to throw out, like, hard drives.
0: Reporter Luke Winkie again. Agents from the FBI, IRS, and DHS had a search warrant, which means something had led them to Heather and Ilya's door. Now, there are only so many options one has in this situation. You can stay and watch them upturn your home, which is probably less stressful if you have nothing to hide. Or you can leave. Ilya and Heather wanted to leave. But they wanted to take their cat with them. So Heather goes to the bedroom to retrieve the cat from under the bed, supposedly. And while she's crouched down, her arm reaches up, grabs her phone, and rips it off the nightstand. She starts frantically holding down buttons. She's attempting to force lock it. The agents would later describe this moment, recalling how they had to wrest the phone from her hands. They secured the device. This is to catch a hacker. In this episode, Ilya and Heather's secret lives and the feds' immense investigation into them. So the apartment search was, by all accounts, a success. Agents unearthed a lot. There was a thick stack of smartphones in a toiletries travel kit, a plastic sandwich bag that had the words Burner Phone written on it in black Sharpie. There were multiple hardware wallets for storing virtual currency, with instructions written on sticky notes. Agents found $40,000 wrapped in pink rubber bands and random foreign currency in plastic bags. One photo from the raid shows two hardcover books splayed open to reveal hand-cut compartments. As if inspired by an old spy movie, the compartments are empty in the photo.
1: It sort of read like what the Joker would do if he was like hiding stuff. So a, a very colorful, very comical sting operation because of just how eccentric these two characters were at the core of it.
0: And then there was the task to unearth the things that weren't physical. It began with the agents decrypting the many encrypted devices. And what they found confirmed their suspicions. Ilya and Heather were in control of stolen cryptocurrency. 119,754 Bitcoin. Which, at the time of the raid, was worth $4.5 billion.
2: The Department of Justice has dealt a major blow to cybercriminals looking to exploit cryptocurrency. The message to criminals is clear. Cryptocurrency is not a safe haven. We can and we will follow the money no matter what form it takes. So
0: whose money was it? And how did it end up in Ilya and Heather's possession? Remember, because it's cryptocurrency, agents could follow the money back to its source on the blockchain. And not only that, but they could also seize it. Following the raid, agents obtained access to Ilya's cloud storage account, in which one single spreadsheet listed 2,000 pseudonyms, along with their corresponding private keys. And since the agents now had the passwords, they used them from Ilya's very own file to seize the remaining balance of 94,636 Bitcoin, at the time worth 3.629 billion US dollars. The agent's blockchain analysis confirmed that almost all of Ilya and Heather's 2,000 pseudonyms linked to wallets that contained Bitcoin directly linked to the hack of a cryptocurrency exchange that happened years prior. It was an exchange called Bitfinex. Bitfinex was one of the largest cryptocurrency exchanges in the 20-teens. It was the world's largest dollar-based exchange for Bitcoin, with offices all over the globe. And one late summer morning in 2016, the exchange suffered a security breach. Hackers were able to clear out more than half of its inventory in under four hours. In total, that amounted to, yes, exactly 119,754 Bitcoin, siphoned from users' accounts into a single wallet. And to put it in perspective, at the time of the theft, a single Bitcoin was worth $600, so that's about $72 million worth of Bitcoin. Hours after, though, the hack sent Bitcoin's trading price plummeting by over 20%. So perhaps due to the volatility of the asset, and surely due to the fact that one slip-up would be forever recorded on the blockchain, the hackers let the stolen money sit in the wallet where it would appreciate in value for the next several months. But the victims of the theft didn't have much
2: recourse. And part of the reason for that is because people don't know who to go to.
0: This is Valerie Shen, vice president of national security at Third Way, a public policy think tank.
2: There is no one clearinghouse for that. Every agency, the FBI, the local attorney's office has a different portal. And it's overwhelming. There's no one obvious place to go to.
0: Valerie will talk about why that is in the next episode, which will wade into the muddied waters that are cryptocurrency regulation in the US. For now, let's focus on the investigation. So the Feds knew Bitfinex had been hacked, but there wasn't much to do about it because the money was stagnant. They didn't have any leads behind the identity of the wallet's owner. There were no blocks on the blockchain to follow. For months, there just wasn't any activity. Then, in early 2017, the first block appeared, like the starting domino in a very long line. Some of the stolen crypto was deposited gradually into seven different accounts on Alphabay, at the time, one of the world's largest dark net marketplaces for drugs, guns, hacking tools, etc. Now, the process of laundering money in any form relies on transactions. You need to hide your money by buying things. So you could imagine that the existence of the blockchain kind of affects things here. Analysts could watch the stolen Bitcoin move in real time. It was only a small amount at the time, but it didn't matter. There it was on the blockchain. By mid 2017, the feds took Alphabay down and arrested the site's founder. And when that happened, agents were able to seize Alphabay's servers, which you could imagine were an analyst's treasure trove of the data behind illicit transactions. And that data included substantial leads for analysts working the Bitfinex case. Among them was a special agent for the Internal Revenue Service, Christopher Jancheski. He can't talk about the case as it was ongoing at the time of our reporting. But you already know what went into his investigation. Blockchain analysis. A lot of it. I mean, at the end of the day, there's only so much you
3: can do if you're moving your money around on a globally visible ledger where anyone can look at your transactions. Um, You know, there's only so many ways you can try to kind of split the coins up and then combine them back together. Our cryptocurrency expert, Dr. Sarah Mickeljohn, If you have this amount of money at point A and you want to get it to point B and you want to have control of it, you know, the whole way, there's really not that many
0: ways to do that. And along the way, you're leaving pretty sizable breadcrumbs. In the Bitcoin ecosystem, most of your transactions will have something called a change address.
3: In Bitcoin, the analogy is more like spending cash. So if you have, yeah, like a $10 bill and a $5 bill in your wallet... And, you know, you go to a store and you pull them out and they're asking you for $12, let's say. It's not like you can just miraculously make $12 out of these two bills, right? You need to, like, hand over the 10 and the 5 and then you get back three ones. And that's how it works in the physical world. So in Bitcoin, it's largely like this, except instead of giving it to the person you're sending the money to, you just kind of make the change for yourself.
0: Remember... No third parties necessary in crypto. So, making your own change means that your Bitcoin transaction will have two output addresses one for the recipient of the transaction, and one that's the change address, where the change comes back to you. One Bitcoin is divisible to the eighth decimal place. And so,
3: you know, the, the chances that you have the exact amount that you ever want to give to anyone else taking transaction fees into account is extremely low, right? Like it's very unlikely that you're not going to need to make change.
0: So it's super common. When analysts are looking at the blockchain, the change address provides a meaningful clue. If they can determine the recipient of the transaction, then the other output represents that user making change for themselves. If you have the ability to
3: identify the change address in a transaction, then essentially that gives you the ability to follow a peel chain as long as you can keep confidently identifying the change address.
0: Now, peel chains are interesting. They're usually defined as a laundering technique, and it's true that cybercriminals may take advantage of their complexity, but they're also a normal part of the Bitcoin ecosystem. Peel chains happen naturally.
3: The idea is that each of these transactions, we can think of it as like peeling a a small amount of Bitcoin off of potentially a larger amount that a user holds. So this is actually a really common pattern in Bitcoin. I should say this isn't like sketchy. This isn't criminal in nature, this kind of
0: transaction pattern. Um, It shows up all the time. A user spends some amount of their funds, which travels from their wallet to a new address, the recipient's wallet the recipient will spend another amount of those same funds, sending them to another new address, and so on. In Bitcoin laundering, though, this process that occurs naturally in the Bitcoin ecosystem is essentially manufactured by the launderer. All of those intermediate addresses that form the Peel Chain belong to wallets that are controlled by the same user, presumably. In the case of the stolen Bitfinex funds, that user was Ilya Lichtenstein and sometimes Heather Morgan.
3: And you can kind of follow this down the line. And each of these peels really represents, you know, one recipient of, of the funds of this entity that you're following. So that, that's something, you know, that's very common to do manually, like looking at a blockchain explorer. You know, if you have your own idea about which of these output addresses represents the change, then you can just kind of follow that intuition and
0: and keep clicking, you know, to the next transaction in the chain. That's exactly what IRS special agent, Chris Janczewski, did. He uncovered an unbelievable web of peel chains manufactured by Ilya and Heather. And it gets even more complicated. They were also moving between the different blockchains associated with each cryptocurrency. It's a technique called chain hopping, which complicated the trail of breadcrumbs as Ilya and Heather converted their Bitcoin into other cryptocurrencies, then back. Just because the Bitcoin blockchain is totally transparent doesn't mean the investigation was a breeze. The sheer scale of the operation was itself a major complexity. Chris's research is represented in seven detailed flowcharts in the 20-page affidavit from the case. So after countless hours poring over the data, tracing the peel chains all the way back, he mapped the stolen funds to accounts owned by Ilya and Heather in their own names, as well as many other false personas, and to boot, their businesses. And the incredible thing is that while they were quietly maintaining this web, Heather became increasingly online. She began churning out personal content on TikTok and YouTube. She was doubling down on Razzlecon's burgeoning career and continuing to prop herself up as a leading figure in the startup world with her company, SalesFolk, the same one that was linked to the Bitcoin laundering.
1: I I think when you look back, knowing everything that happened, there is just a, a naivete when you see how she went about that business, but also you just can't help but wonder how she felt knowing that a lot of that brand was built on something that could come tumbling down at any given moment.
0: I just woke up and I gotta say, I'm a motherfucking bad bitch. Go on, make me a sandwich. You annoying? Heather Morgan is in her bedroom. In front of her unmade bed, she's rapping. Bad
3: bitch, bad bitch, motherfucking bad bitch, bad bitch, bad bitch, motherfucking bad bitch. Cause guess what? I'm a bad bitch and this is how we start our day. Razzle (sighs)
1: dazzle.
0: Illy is there too, in the kitchen. you
1: just keep filming me expecting something to happen?
0: It's a normal weekday. He's making himself a cup of loose leaf tea at the kitchen island and it's a nice kitchen There's an air fryer on the granite countertop behind him. And the cabinets have fog glass fronts.
2: What do you want me to do? You want me to just like shove something up my ass and do a little dance and run around and wiggle it for you? It'll kind of pop out. Is that what you're waiting for?
1: Not today.
0: Ridiculous, I know. But there's a darker subtext to this video. And all of the videos Heather posted for so many years they were letting off steam in front of the camera. Steam from the stress of, allegedly, laundering Bitcoin. So, perhaps by design, Ilya only makes rare cameos. And even then, the glimpses we get of him are from Heather's point of view, or sometimes Khan's, who we now know isn't the most reliable narrator. What we do know is that Ilya was born in Russia and raised in Illinois, he moved to Silicon Valley after college and was struck by the hacking community. He once commented on Hacker News that, quote, hacking permeates the air in the valley. One reporter described Ilya as a mischievous Elijah Wood.
1: I remember getting the sense that he was probably the main person behind the crime itself or something, that he had had some connections and, and got his, his wife involved in it. But um, yeah, it definitely seems like a fairly shady individual that was probably in the mix with a bad group of people.
0: We know that Ilya and Heather were in love. In the summer of 2019, Ilya proposed to Heather, who he called his best friend and the woman of his dreams, through a self-described weird, creative, multi-channel marketing campaign. He pasted posters of a cyberpunk Heather all over Manhattan, but he went even bigger than that. Ilya had landed Razzlecon on a screen in Times Square, purchasing a massive ad with the slug, quote, the most brutally honest rap album of the year. He said it was perfect because it was, quote, sweet, thoughtful, and creative, with a positive ROI. They were married in November 2021, an event where Heather performed as Khan.
2: I love you. I support you, but I don't want to be involved. Moon and stars, too cool for bars. Don't drive, no cars, cause baby, you and me from Mars. Moon and stars, too cool for bars. Don't drive, no cars, cause baby, you and me from Mars. Moon and stars, moon and stars,
3: moon and stars, 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 moon and stars.
0: Federal agents came knocking barely two months after their wedding. At the beginning of January, they're on Wall Street. And then, a few weeks later, the federal agents came back.
2: Hey, Heather, I am not amused. Mm.
0: Ilya and Heather were arrested, charged with conspiracy to launder money and conspiracy to defraud the United States. The maximum total sentencing they faced was 25 years, each. With their backs to one another, getting arrested, they shout something to each other in Russian what does it say about the ecosystem the fact that the tools launderers and other cybercriminals need to exploit the system are some of the most fundamental features of crypto and what's needed to prevent or at least protect people from that exploitation that's next time on to catch a hacker
2: but i think at the highest level the purpose of regulation is to promote stability, transparency, and protect consumers or other otherwise vulnerable groups from harm. And so right now, there is very little crypto regulation. And as a result, there is a lot of harm being, say, individual investors who have been sold on the idea that it's, it's a boon and now they've lost their life savings. Okay, well, what's the solution so that we don't have an ecosystem where people are constantly getting defrauded, constantly being predated upon and being victims, right, of a system. I know this is an imperfect metaphor, but it's the wild, wild west where some people have guns and some people don't, right? And the sheriff's gotta come into town and try to make sure there are less shootings going on somehow.
0: To Catch a Hacker is a series from Third Way and Goat Rodeo. This episode was produced and written by me, Jay Venables, and production assistance by Ian Enright. Special thanks to Valerie Shen and Mike Sexton for sharing their expertise with us. The music you heard was by Goat Rodeo, sampled from Razzlecon. To learn more about crypto crime, cybersecurity, and law enforcement policy issues, visit thirdway.org. You can find more episodes of To Catch a Hacker wherever you get your podcasts. And if you liked this episode, please leave us a rating or review and share it with your friends. Thanks for listening.